All right, everybody, good morning. Welcome to Remnant. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Pastor Ed, for giving me a break for the last couple weeks. Yeah. He, uh, he sort of stored up extra time for me, which is great. But that's how it works. I, I'm glad you're here. If this is the first time you've been to Remnant, welcome. We're kind of an unusual church, and you'll discover that in a few minutes. Uh, I, I, um, I've been thinking about this series for a year, and um, we're starting a new series today. It's called Bearing Good Fruit. It's about those of us who are believers connecting to Jesus in such a way that we can't help but pour out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, and self-control to the world. But I'm really glad you attended this morning, and I really mean that. You chose to come to church, and you chose to come to Remnant, and that means a lot to all of us. We're beginning a new series. We're going to look at what Paul told the Galatians about how they should live and how their lives should reflect Christ. Now, I will tell you that this story, this sermon, this series was shaped by my experience with God during COVID during the last year. As a nation, we're about to face the greatest fatality statistic of COVID, and no one's talking about it. Later this year, we'll get the true fatality statistics, and we'll see the damage that was really done. Not by the virus, not because of deaths and illnesses, not because of the economic shutdown. The damage that was done was far more destructive, damage that may well be eternal for people. The spiritual damage that occurred because churches were disobedient during the virus pandemic. It's that simple. Study performed by Barna Research came out this week. These numbers only reflect the first half of 2020, and they expect the numbers to get much worse when they get the full year data. Baby boomers. Okay, now these are people who've attended church regularly for over two years. Okay? Not people that are just kicking tires. These are people who attended church regularly, and regularly they define, unless they've changed it, as two times a month every weekend. 26% have stopped attending. 11% switched churches. Only 40% stayed at the same church. If you look at Gen Xers, 35% stopped attending. 17% switched churches. 31% are left at the church. Millennials, 50% stopped attending. 8% switched churches and 30% stayed at the same church. God warned us and we did not listen. Hebrews 10.22, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habits of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is drawing near. God's word told us to continue to meet together, to encourage one another. We did this to ourselves. We stopped meeting. We stopped encouraging one another. We failed to stir one another up in love and good works. It's estimated that in most churches, less than 12.7% of people had a medical reason the elderly or were caring for the elderly and should not have been attending. 12%. 
conditions that would have placed them in a protected group, and I'm not talking to you. Please hear me. If you took care of the elderly, if you took care of the sick, if you yourself are elderly, you have a medical condition, this is not about you. I've said that from the very beginning. The government said churches were essential, and the churches of America told the government, no, we're not. Since we didn't find the courage to respond to the challenge, many walked away from the faith that they found powerless in the midst of an epidemic. Instead of God demonstrating his power, his church just failed to demonstrate. And before you jump on me for being too harsh, I want you to think about the true spiritual impact of what COVID-19 has done to our nation. And if you think I'm angry, I am. We let Satan win, and that ticks me off. We should have been protecting those wavering in the faith, and instead, many who would have attended watched online. Most churches didn't even give their congregation the option of meeting in person. While most believers in America watched online, those seeking moved on to watch something else. So what are we supposed to do with these kind of statistics? On average, over the year 2020, from another study, only 37% of people stayed at their church. And another 50% gave up on church altogether. Most churches in the U.S. lost over half their congregation. They don't even know it yet. They think they're coming back, and they're not. The impact of COVID-19 on the American church is expected to reach its destructive climax later this year and early into next year. When churches realize people aren't coming back and the churches can no longer fund their infrastructure, it's estimated that we're going to see a dramatic closing of churches across America, the impact of the COVID vaccine, or not the vaccine, the COVID disease. I'm so thankful for the foresight of the elders at Remnant. We don't have salaries. We don't have mortgages. The building's paid for. We're all volunteers. We don't have major loans. We knew that churches in the future would have to run lean, that we'd have to be appear strong as the end comes near. And throughout the year, God has provided for Remnant and the Remnant Cafe. We've stayed faithful. We've remained open. And God has blessed us as a church. At Remnant, we have to be able to survive difficult times. We're preparing for changes to come and listening to God very closely, and we think this is just the very beginning. Our church has grown financially, spiritually, and numerically during the COVID crisis because I believe we were obedient to God and stayed open every Sunday of 2020. This week, President Biden said that soon people would no longer be able to hide their prejudice and racism behind the protection of a church. The government will soon be attempting to censor God's word. Issues like abortion, sexual identity, sexual perversion, and other sexual sins will be censored. We're preparing for changes to come, not in fear, not in worry, just wise as God leads. We'll soon come off mainstream media as a church and begin to consolidate the message that God has given to us. We have concerns that the truth of God will be censored. Not because of the political climate, although that's contributing, but because of Scripture. Jesus said it would happen. He said they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. That in the end times, they'll no longer tolerate what they don't want to hear. I'm paraphrasing. And then Paul tells us, or God tells us through Paul, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. That's what we're going to do as a church. Currently, we're a 501c3 nonprofit under the government, which brings tax benefits to us. We get tax breaks on the building, on taxes. When you donate to the church, you can deduct it. We're preparing for the day when we'll no longer have that status. The government could require, because of that status, that we no longer teach God's word truthfully. And we're ready to walk away from our nonprofit status when God leads. We're actually ready to do whatever God leads us to do. So as I was processing this Barna data this week, I began to ask myself, how can over half a church's congregation walk away? How is that possible? Admittedly, 13% or so changed churches, but for many it meant they just changed the channel on their internet, and when churches reopened, they didn't start attending a new church. It made me wonder what would happen in America if we were truly persecuted for actually attending church. Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing, you'll discover your foundation when the wind blows. Many have discovered their faith is based on the sand of convenience instead of the bedrock of sacrifice and service. They decided they would get what they needed from church without having to be part of the church. They'll discover that they're mistaken. Most have already know that the relationship with Jesus has suffered because of their absence. They know it. It's important that we're here together. Once the Barna data came out, I received many emails from church consultants ready to help us with this horrible problem. And the church consultant said, we need to bring more value to people. We need to market more, promote more, and make our message even more appealing and more culturally relevant. We need now, more than ever, to be entertaining and culturally relevant. Otherwise, people will not re-engage, they say, and pump life back into your church. Advice like that from believers should be tested for occult blood. Because it's crap. We don't need to pump life into the church. We need to pump the life that is Jesus out of his people, out of the church, and into the world, and into lost people. The church was never supposed to be about us. The church was never... The church is about what God can do through the power of God for other people. If you attend church just to have your needs met, you don't understand the purpose of Jesus' church. Jesus' church is about Jesus, not you or me. It's about his mission, his message, and his truth. That's the only reason we're here is to get his message out to the world. Jesus didn't build his church to meet your needs. He didn't build his church to exceed your expectations or to make you feel good. He built his church as a place where you grow spiritual muscles through service, sacrifice, and commitment. A place where you connect to the vine and he grows himself in you. He uses frustration and trials and hurts and betrayals and victories and support and encouragement and forgiveness and obedience and every other life experience that happens in this glorious place that we call church in order to help all of us who are connected to the vine connect to Jesus and grow fruit. He's the vine, we're the branches. We help one another grow. I need you to help me grow. You need me to help you grow. That's why we come together particularly when times get hard. And that's where we're headed. The church of Jesus Christ is to be missional, not comfortable. A place of service, not a place to be served. 
I hope people don't stay at our church because they're here to be served or have their every need met or to be entertained. Some say that I lack compassion. The truth is I just don't waste it. The church is a place where God's people are encouraged and supported and challenged and inspired to go on mission and to serve and love and reach other people. It's sacrificial. We serve others at the expense of ourselves because that's what Jesus did. We don't consumer shop churches until we find one that will allow us to stay, cater to our needs, not expect us to contribute, and not expect us to do anything. At Remnant, we don't try to attract all the people that you know. We train and equip you to attract the people you know with the Jesus that's inside of you. We send you out to reach people that you know. We aren't here to do your work for you. We're here to equip you, encourage you to fulfill your mission. You're here to work for Jesus. That's why you came here today. You have a role. You have a responsibility and a post that's to be filled in the battle for Jesus. That's why the church exists. Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Every person who comes to church plays a role in the spiritual battle that is raging against the message of God. And the work for you that he has for you and for me is often outside these walls. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints, you, for ministry. So the question remains, why did almost half of those who claim to be believers stop going to church? When their workplace resumed, they went back to work. When the schools started back, they all went back to school. When restaurants opened, we all went to go eat. But when churches reopened, people stayed home. They're still staying home. They may be clicking off the internet right now. Why? Why are they at home? Well, I think the answer begins with the encounter that they've had with Jesus Christ. It really boils down to the power of your relationship with Christ. Many have had too many life-changing moments in the church and among their church family to walk away. They couldn't even conceive it. How could I not go to church? Every major life event, every major spiritual thing that's happened to me has happened in the church. I have a role that's critical in the mission of Jesus. They need me there. I have a post, a responsibility. We don't attend church as if we're to be entertained or served. We come to serve others and worship Jesus in the process. I believe the best way to get someone to experience Jesus is to have them go and serve somebody else. God's people reach out to care for others. They almost always have life-altering and life-changing experiences. Just talk to people that come back from mission trips or from serving in the cafe or from reaching out to one of their neighbors in need. How many life-changing experiences have you truly had? Ask yourself that question. Have you thought about that? So much of what we do is just routine. Do you remember what you did on Wednesday? Doesn't it just blend in with every other day? How about three weeks ago? No, it just blends in. But every once in a while, you get an opportunity to do something that you know you're going to remember the rest of your life. Those life-changing experiences. When you have a chance to have a life-changing experience, you have to jump on it. Life is too short. You need to build opportunities like that in your spiritual life. 
Many of us never see the miraculous of God because we never put ourselves in a position to depend on it. A key part of transformation is positioning yourself to be fully, completely, totally dependent on Jesus and his mission for the world. Which means you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You have to place yourself where if Jesus doesn't show up, you fail. But you can never fail if Jesus leads you to be somewhere. So I beg you, begin looking in your spiritual life for opportunities to stretch, to be challenged, to reach out to other people, to care for somebody other than yourself, to grow spiritually. You and I have to get away from the comfort of our zone. And we got to get into the zone where Jesus lives, where miracles happen. We don't want to live just another day that blends in with every other day. We don't want to just have another routine. We We want things we can't control because God works in that area and life is too short to just merge this day into every other day. I don't want this service or this series to to be like all the others you've attended. I really have been praying that this would be a life-changing experience for all of us. It's really on my heart today because I'm teaching the series on something that I think is one of the most important things we need to know as believers and the thing that keeps us here when other people walk away and it's a high view of God. I'm praying that we'll see how big God really is and how great God really is because it's everything. Your view of God, your image of God, what you think about when we say God, how holy he is, how great he is, how powerful he is, is the most important thing about you. What you think about God. And when Jesus is the most important thing to you, you could never walk away from the church. You might decide to leave this one but you'd never leave your service in the global church. You'd join another one and serve there sacrificially. You advance the message. My prayer is that this new series we're gonna start today will bring transformation to all of us, that we'll be open to have new experiences with him. And it's not just another series, but it may be a time when you surrendered and God showed up. So we begin this series, Bearing Good Fruit. As we start this series, I really want you to think about good fruit. I want you to think about your life and the fruit that is produced through you. Picture the juiciest piece of fruit you've ever seen. The best of the best. Busting with flavor, almost exploding. You you can't even stay away from it. It's perfect. You've had some fruit before, but that fruit, that one, had something special inside. Something about the way it was grown and watered and fertilized and cared for made it special. The image of fruit and fruit trees are all through Scripture. We know Adam and Eve had issue with the fruit tree that was put in front of them. Ironically, though, God uses the idea of fruit to represent our relationship with him. He uses the analogy of trees bearing fruit to represent the way he lives through us. Hundreds of years before God Before Jesus walked on earth, the prophet Isaiah said this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. We've looked at this passage before, the prophecy that the Messiah would come from the family of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord will rest and stay upon him. And then the passage talks about us. You see it? A branch from his roots. That's us. I'm the vine. You are the branches. A branch from his roots. And what is it going to do? Shall bear fruit. There will be a branch rooted in Jesus, a group of people connected to him, and they will bear spiritual fruit. Isaiah was talking about us. Yes, a stump will come from Jesse, but his branches will bear fruit. That's how you know they're his branches. The prophet Jeremiah said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Those who are connected to Jesus do not cease to bear his fruit. Jesus said it this way, abide in me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, if we don't abide in him, if we don't spend time with him, if we don't prioritize our personal time with him, we cannot produce spiritual fruit. Only those who abide, only those who dwell, only those who spend time with Jesus see his fruit manifested in their lives. He goes on to say that the fruit, we, the fruit that we produce defines us. He told the disciples that false teachers would come and you could tell them by their fruit. Beware of false prophets, he says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bear diseased fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. You'll recognize them by their fruit. In Galatians, Paul contrasts two types of fruit. One type comes from being rooted in our flesh, in our sinful nature, and the other type from our relationship with Christ. Paul calls the fruit from our flesh, the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, when you're connected to your flesh, here's what people see in your life. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Then he says there's another fruit that comes from being with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul looks at the fruit of the Spirit, and many of us just focus on the fruit of the Spirit. We miss the contrast that he's making. Context is everything. He's contrasting the fruit of a fallen flesh person with the fruit of a follower of Jesus Christ. They're not even close. And he says, you'll know 
by distinguishing the fruit of their lives, which side they're on. It's not subtle. He's teaching the Galatians particularly how to recognize false teachers because they've been bombarded with them. He's not saying that if you don't have these nine things perfectly figured out, you're somehow a false prophet. None of us fully express the fruits of the Spirit. None of us should be able to sit here and go, I got this nailed. Most of us fall woefully short when we look at the, the standard of God and his love and peace and patience and kindness and look at ourselves. That's why he's God and we're still working. But we should be growing. We should be moving in this direction. When we read him say that there's love, joy, and peace in our hearts, we should be going, man, I need to do more of that. I need to experience more of that. He lists nine things, and then he encourages the Galatians because he knows how they're feeling. They're going, whoa, I don't have all that. Wow, I don't have it. And he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, you're still on the journey. You're in the process of killing your flesh nature and replacing it with the spiritual fruit of God but you're in journey, you're in process. Crucify the flesh and grow in the spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. So let me ask you this. Are there any of those nine things that you don't want more of in your life? I mean, if God promised these nine things to you, would you be disappointed? If you could add to your spiritual life, what would you want it to be? Imagine your life a year from right now, one year from now. What if God began working through you? What if you spent so much time with Jesus that you began to explode in love? And you had so much of it, you had to pour it out because you couldn't stand it anymore. What if your life is crazy, but somehow deep inside, you're just abounding in peace? You used to get really frustrated with others, but now you live in this weird patience you didn't know you had. You replace your selfish thoughts with kindness and goodness. You used to fear everything. You used to live in anxiety trying to control everything. It's always welling up inside of you. It's an enormous sense of faith now has replaced it. Your trust in God grows, and as you do, you become more faithful in all the areas of your life. You have areas of your life that have always been out of control, and yet somehow now you seem to be in control. You had impulses that no longer exist, and the crazy thing is you didn't do it. You didn't decide to do it. Can you imagine what would happen in your relationships if all nine of these fruit grew crazy in you the next year? What if it happened to everybody in our church family? What would this place look like? Imagine if remnant exploded in love, exploded in joy, at great peace, abounding in patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Imagine what it would look like. So ripe and plump and juicy. People who don't even know what we're doing would go, I want that. But these things don't come from us. Please hear this. We don't decide to have more of these things. We don't sit down and go, you know what, this year, I'm going to be more loving. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love unless it kills me, I'm going to love. Yeah. We don't do it. 
The transformation occurs from Christ. We spend time with him. We abide with him. He transforms us and he pours out so much love that we change just by being around him. At one point, they looked at the disciples and they said they could tell they'd been with Jesus. I want to make sure that when people leave our church, people can tell we've been with Jesus. That when you go into the workplace, when you go to meet friends, when you're hanging out, the one thing people know is, wow, look at their fruit. Look at their peace. and That person's been with Jesus. A lot. It doesn't happen because of our effort. It comes out of the depth of intimacy we have with Christ. Bearing spiritual fruit is about deep, solid commitment to stay rooted in Jesus. So often we want to create what God does in us. Make ourselves more loving. Conjure up a bunch of peace. And then they don't work. And we feel like we're failing as believers. If I'm a true believer, I should be more loving. I should be more patient. I should be more kind. We see others and we're envious of their internal joy. We watch some in our small group who seem to have incredible faith. Others seem to have just genuine goodness and kindness. Sometimes it feels like we're losing. Failing at this Jesus thing. And so we try harder. I'm going to love that person if it kills me. And if it doesn't kill me, I'm going to act like I love them so people will think I have the fruit of the Spirit. When really what we ought to be doing is falling at Jesus' feet and say, I need help. My flesh is still struggling, surrendering to you. If that's you, this series is for you, and it's definitely for me. My prayer is that you'll stop striving, as weird as that sounds. That you'll just position yourself to receive. You don't create the fruit in your life, you express the fruit that God grows in your life. We're going to learn some things that we need to do. We're going to learn about some things we need to stop doing so that we can abide with Christ and he can grow his fruit in us. It's really all about relationship. Maybe you want intimacy with God. You see people that have it, you say, I want to love God like that. But truthfully, I don't right now. You see, honestly, you might be thinking, I have all these other desires. My heart's pursuing other things. I want to pursue God, but really, my heart's not into that right now. How do I get there? And I would tell you to pray. You don't have the ability on your own to love God. In fact, there's nothing about your sin nature or my sin nature that draws us to love God. If you want to know how messed up we are, how fallen we are, you don't even have the capacity to love God and neither do I. I have a sin nature that loves me. I need God to grow in me a love for him to beat down my sinful nature and to reveal himself and take over my life so his love can pour through me and he can help me to love him. And every day I go to him and say, God, I need you. I need you to grow in me a deeper love for you. I need to grow in me a deeper love for other people. This series is all about growth, but it doesn't just happen. 
You see, we only grow great fruit when we have very deep roots into the vine. No tree ever produces fruit if it doesn't have roots. No Christ follower produces the fruit of the Spirit unless you've invested deep roots into your relationship with Jesus Christ. If we really desire to become Christians overflowing with great fruit, we have to make a commitment to connect to Jesus every day. You have to remember, you're not just trying to grow fruit in your life. You and I are growing fruit of the Spirit of God. It comes from Him. The only way to grow that fruit is to grow in your relationship. I've been praying that God would give me the images and the, the words that to get you stop believing that anything on this earth would bring you more pleasure than knowing God more intimately. That you would be so convinced of that truth that you pursue him more than anything. And I know it can be hard to believe because there's so many in this room that are just hurting today. Your desire is to just get rid of the pain that's in your life. And I just want you to be open to the idea, to the possibility that getting to know God more intimately may be more important than even getting rid of that pain. I know many sit in this room today with many problems. I get the emails, I get the texts. And your greatest desire right now is, God, fix this problem. God, I need you to fix this problem for me. I've come here today to look for a solution to this problem. God, why are you not fixing it? Can I just ask you to be open to the possibility that your life's not just about that problem. That knowing God more intimately could be even greater than him fixing that problem for you. Some of you right now are here struggling with temptation. You know God has a different plan for you. You're tempted and you love what you're tempted with so much. You want it so much, even though you're sitting here in church, you're already planning it. You're planning to go back to your sin as soon as we're done. And I'm just asking you to consider the possibility that intimacy with God may bring you more pleasure than that sin you're involved in. I know you can't see it. I know that temptation may be everything to you. But my prayer is that you would realize that knowing God is more important and better. There's nothing on earth that will bring you more satisfaction, more personal completeness than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be thinking, how could that help my problem? You don't know. How could a relationship with Jesus help my problem? I desperately want you to know today that a relationship with Jesus changes everything. Even if your situation never changes, going through it with Jesus changes everything. I remember the day that I decided to marry Tammy. I didn't know the future. I was struggling with all kinds of problems. But I knew to my core that whatever the future held, I wanted to experience that future with her. The relationship changed everything. I'd rather have gone through tough times with Tammy than smooth sailing without her. The relationship at that time was the most important thing in my life. I want you to just consider the possibility 
that an intimate relationship with Jesus trumps every other circumstance in your life. That it's better to go through trials with Jesus than to live a wrinkle-free life not knowing him. There's something about the relationship that says I'd rather be with him than anywhere else. Nowhere else compares to knowing Jesus. So as we spend more time with Jesus, we want to grow deeper roots. We want to spend more time with him. We want to understand his word. We can't believe that we're in a relationship with God. It's incredible. It's so exciting. We wonder how do we ever live without this? Church, small group, baptism, worship, gifts, serving, we can't get enough. Every day we read our Bible and pray. Jesus, without a doubt, at some point for all of us, was the most important thing in our lives, and we knew it, and he knew it, and we grew like weeds. Things are really, really good. Yeah, we got problems, but we got Jesus. Your life is still challenging, but you're not alone anymore. You're in a relationship with God. You can't believe your good fortune. You, dirty, undeserving, sinful, fallen, have been pursued by God. It is the ultimate prince story. It's sort of like that movie Hitch. Do you remember the movie Hitch? In that movie, a beautiful woman named Allegra Cole falls for a man named Albert Brenneman, who it appears has no business being in a relationship with her. She's way out of his league. She's rich, she's beautiful, seemingly self-assured. He's ordinary, overweight, clumsy, and neurotic, and certainly can't dance. You look at him and you wonder, how could he ever be with her? Not only that, but Albert himself wonders, how could I ever be with her? She's way out of my league. And yet this movie ends with Albert marrying Allegra. He can't believe his good fortune. What else could he possibly need or want? He had no business being with her. So surely he'd live happily ever after, right? But you know that doesn't just happen. The excitement of a new relationship wears off eventually. Part of our fallen state is that we begin to take for granted the very things we're given. Unless we fight for it, our selfishness overcomes our relationships. We start to see other things, other things we don't have, things we want, things we choose to pursue. The world bombards us with what we don't have, and without realizing it, we drift away from the most important thing in our life. We move away from our relationships to pursue things because we've so easily forgotten what we've been given. And because we take her for granted, we begin to covet and to desire other things. That's why we have to work so hard. That's why we have to be here all the time. We've got to protect and nurture and grow in our relationships. Great marriages take commitment and work. You have to prioritize spending time together. You have to cherish the memories you've spent together. You have to remind yourself every day of why you fell in love with each other in the first place. You have to return to the photo album reminding yourself how great things have been. You have to say no to a lot of other things to invest in the relationship that you're committed to. If we want the fruit that comes from a great marriage, we have to be asked to sacrifice our wants for theirs. It's going to cost us something to really love somebody else. We have to stay committed to each other. 
We know that as parents too, don't we? Becomes a parent. We must prioritize spending time with our families. No one has a great relationship with their children unless they spend time with them. But you've been busy. Maybe you took your children for granted. You trust they'll be there for you when you need them, but will they? If you don't arrange your priorities and invest in your relationships, those great relationships will be a distant memory. At some point, we have to decide if our relationship with Jesus Christ is worth fighting for. So where are you with Jesus today? How's that relationship going for you? You see, I know how Albert felt. My relationship with God is like that. I look at God and he's perfect and holy and righteous and glorious and I look at me and I know what I've done and I know my features and I know what I deserve. And yet somehow I'm in a relationship with him. God, big God, spoke the universe into existence and he spoke me into his relationship. He's the perfect 10. He not only wanted a relationship with me, he pursued me. Prepared a way, paid a price for me to be able to be in a relationship with him. The God of the universe loves me. He loves you. Blows my mind when I think about it. And yet amazing as that truth is, I'm so fallen that I can actually take Jesus for granted. I've been matched up with a holy, perfect God. He calls me his child. He calls me his bride. He calls me his friend. And yet I look around in the security of that relationship and complain about what I don't have. The problems I still have, the things I want that he hasn't given me. It's so easy to look around at the things we don't have and forget that you already have everything. I'm connected to God, the bride of Christ. We have friendship with God. We have intimacy with God. What else could I possibly need? But let's get honest. All of us have at times pursued other things. We've committed to Jesus but took that relationship for granted. We got so tempted, something else looked so good to us that we began deserting the things that were in the place of Jesus. One thing that this year has shown us, when we stop prioritizing our time with God, the things of this world start competing for our time. Like that friend we haven't seen in a while, that relationship starts to cool not that anything's really wrong, it's just not right. And we know it. I know we all have problems, and I don't want to trivialize your situation or your issues. I just want to magnify Jesus above it. God loved you so much that he would rather watch his son suffer and die on a cross than to miss out on a relationship with you. It's incredible. He offers you and me life, overflowing. And in addition to that relationship, he says, oh, by the way, the more time you spend with me, I'm going to give you more joy and peace, kindness and gentleness. And you're going to begin to look like me, Jesus says. You're going to be around me so much that you're going to begin to look like me. Abide in me and I in you. Branch can't bear fruit by itself. What are you trying to do? I'm the vine, you're the branches, don't forget that. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, that's who's bearing fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Jesus made it absolutely clear. If you don't abide in him, you'll never produce fruit. Meditate on this verse this week. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Fruit is grown in that quiet place with Jesus. I want so desperately in my own life, and I want it for each of you, and I want it for our church. I want us to be the juiciest fruit we can imagine. But I don't grow fruit, and neither do you. The amount of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness in this room depends on how much time together we spend with Jesus in this room. It's directly related to how much time we go to our own personal sanctuary and join together in that quiet place with Jesus. It can be hard. We have problems, we have issues, we have struggles, and times they seem really big. They seem overwhelming. What's drawing you away from Jesus seems so tempting and so desirable. Can I just suggest to you that those things are in your life for the very purpose that God can use them to bring you back to the quiet place? That the things that you're asking God to take out of your life may be the very thing that he's using to get you to go back to the quiet place. That when you feel so overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life, maybe you'll stop trying to fix them yourself and fall on your face, which is where he wants you in the first place. It's in the quiet place where your problems become small because God becomes so big. So I want to show you during this series that the only solution to whatever you're facing is knowing God, knowing Jesus intimately. And I believe you'll become convinced of that as we go forward. So this week we launch a new series. What do you need to do to position yourself to abide in Jesus? What priority are you willing to change? What temptation are you going to walk away from? What immediate problem are you going to set aside? What selfish desire do you need to release? Who do you need to forgive? To make sure that your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Many this year have found their faith on sinking sand. They've walked away from their call as believers to serve others, to sacrifice for others, to share our lives with one another, to continue meeting together, and to continue to be equipped to reach others. If you're watching us online and have stopped attending a church service with real people who have real needs and need to know a very real God, I'm calling you out. This year... 30% of believers who attended church for two years, at least two weekends a year, use COVID as an excuse to stop serving and stop coming to church. That's all it took, really? Really? That's all it took for you to abandon the post that Jesus gave you. I started teaching before the pandemic about God's truth for our church and for every church, and it's never changed. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habits of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You want to know why it's so critical that we obey God's word? Because the greatest damage of COVID is not the loss of life, it's not illness, it's not the pandemic, it's that over half the people 
who were pursuing Jesus and serving him in churches are no longer doing so. No one's talking about the damage that COVID has done to the church and to religious freedom. The government said churches were essential and the people of God said, no, it's okay, I'll watch online. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Followers of Jesus have been placed on guard duty for times such as this. We are the first defenders of truth. We're the light of hope in the darkness of our culture. People are going to stumble into church looking for help. They're likely not going to follow you in your living room. How dare you stay at home? When the battle's building, when the time's getting darker, and watch the rest of us do God's work for you, you don't have to attend Remnant, and now you may not. But go somewhere. Plug in somewhere. Get on mission. We're headed to the end times. What are you doing? You left your post. The mission is too great. The work is too hard. And we need everybody fully engaged in the work of the kingdom in their local church. I'm sorry. Don't come here if you don't want to. But you plug in somewhere and quit staying at home. My prayer is that you who are watching online will get up next week and go to a church and say, I'm here to serve. I have a point. I have a mission to fulfill. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to contribute. I'm here to worship. I'm here to learn. I'm here to be equipped. And I'm here to make my life about somebody other than me. This series is about positioning yourself to be fully equipped in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that goes out of a deep relationship with Christ and is ripened in the midst of serving others. The only way you can walk away from your relationship with God for your service at the church is to not have that connection. The Holy Spirit won't let you do it. The gifts of the Spirit are given to us by God. We're rivers, not reservoirs. They're not given to you so you'll have them. God doesn't fill you up with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness so that you can carry it around and show it to everybody. He gives it to you so you can pour it out on people who are desperate for it who've seen the fake love, joy, peace, and kindness of the world and want to see the real stuff that comes straight from the throne of God. Jesus didn't text or Skype the leper. He reached out and touched him when nobody else would. Thank you for being here today. God, I thank you that you... Give us your word to guide us during difficult times. I thank you that you pour out your truth on us. God, we are here on mission. So God, would you look down, your word says you look to and fro across the world to find hearts who are truly yours. God, would you look upon this little church. Continue to give us the courage to teach truth. Continue to give us the courage to reach the lost and the homeless. Continue to give us the resources. And God, we thank you for this place that we get to show up and be on mission. We love you. Please, God, this week, help every one of us prioritize our time with you and put aside the things that don't bring you honor or glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a couple announcements. Let me do these because I mess these up every week. We have three cards out front, okay? The white card is if you want our care team to help you. 
If you have issues or you have something you need done, wait a minute, we're not doing this yet. Hold on. I get out of order sometimes. Um, I don't know a better time to take communion. Jesus said that when we take communion, we declare him until his return. And so in a minute, we're going to take communion because I remembered it. But here's what I want you to think about. God's called you to be on mission. He's called you to periodically stop and remind yourself of why you're on mission. And part of communion is his blood. He knows what it means to sacrifice for the mission. He knows what it means to sacrifice for you. And he more than anyone knows the price he paid to allow you to be in a relationship with him. So as you take communion, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to think about your relationship with him. Think about the future we're headed towards and ask yourself, am I all in? Because we're not headed to great times. Let me pray and then the communion tables will be open. God, I thank you. I thank you that periodically you told us, you directed us to take communion, to remember the night before you faced your most difficult day and you're also your most glorious weekend. You said this bread was your body, this blood was juice, wine was your blood, poured out for us. And he said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. But God, help us to remember you and the sacrifice you paid. We ask it in Jesus' name.